Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there to the authors of the Pacific Northwest. Thanks so much for coming back to the podcast. Um, and today we have an amazing author that I'm excited to introduce to you. And she has quite a large body of work. So her name is G- Ginger Dillinger. So Ginger, would you like to say hi to the listeners? Well, hi, listeners. I'm happy to be here today. We are happy to have you here, and I'm getting excited to talk about you because I've been scouring your blog before the interview a little bit, and I got lots of questions, so I'm excited. Um, But I tell everybody I'm excited about every author, but I I like what you're doing. So let's get started, Ginger, by you telling us a little bit about yourself. Tell the listeners what state you reside in, and if you have a job outside of being an author, tell us what that is. Give us a little bit of background about you um, to get your new listeners interested in you. Okay. Well, first of all, I am not working because I am retired, and I waited until after I retired to really start writing uh, seriously. I had done a number of different jobs. I, I'm one of these Jill of all trades, I guess. I had been a teacher. I had worked in marketing and sales and uh, human resources, and I never had enough confidence in myself as a writer to think that I could just make a living at it. So I, you know, even though I was writing in conjunction with my jobs, I wasn't writing the kinds of things I wanted to write for fun and, you know, fiction and poetry and so forth. So finally, I was retired. I had the time. And that has been my hobby, my my whole soul, really, for the last 10 years. Oh, you're my inspiration. So um, I, I currently work full time, as you probably noticed in my emails, I'm a little bit scattered sometimes and busy. And I'm trying to do the writing and the podcast and the whole purpose for the podcast was to help me get started. So when I do get to retirement, I have it down. <laughs> That's the idea. Gotcha. <laughs> so now, yeah, yeah, well, you're good. You're good to have a head start like that. Yeah, yeah. I was afraid of retirement in the sense that I thought I might get too bored. So <laughs> that, that was kind of the idea. So uh, Ginger, what state are you in? Because I think I know you how you found the podcast, but tell us what state you're in in the Pacific Northwest. Yes, I am. I live in Bend, Oregon. Yeah, so we have a lot of authors on the podcast because I had an article that came out in the Bend newspaper. And um, so is that how you found out about us? That's how I found out. Oh, I love it. I love it. I wish I could get an article in every newspaper in the Pacific Northwest that I would never have to worry about the podcast. I'll have lots of authors on. Oh, you'd have a, you'd be have gillaged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I probably would have been. So what else would you like future readers to know about you? Um, now, and I want to back around to one thing that you said, you were once a teacher, I looked you up on your, your blog, and you have a background in history and writing. So did you teach history? Is that what you were teaching? Or Yes, uh, actually, I was, uh, I was a history major. I went to the University of Oregon, graduated from there. And uh, I majored in history and taught at the high school level, wow. history, social studies. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after eight years of doing that, I moved, believe it or not, from Klamath Falls, Oregon, where I was raised and where I taught school, to New York City. Oh, goodness. And that's where I got uh, into the private sector. Mm-hmm. And I worked there for 12 years oh. and before moving back to the West Coast. 
Oh, I tell so, um, everybody leaves can leave the Pacific Northwest, but I guarantee they're all coming back sometime in their life. <laughs> oh, you can't stay away forever. You, you, you just can't. I I realized I'd never make the money I was making back there, but I just missed my family. I missed my friends, and I just missed the Pacific Northwest. But going to New York, you got the experience that a lot of people don't always have unless they they move to the East Coast from the Pacific Coast. There's a whole different thing on the East Coast versus Pacific Coast. So I'm sure that made you a much better person, much rounded person, because you got to see um, some diversity that maybe others haven't. So so I'm sure that was exciting. (laughs) It was. It was like moving to a foreign country. If you talk about moving from Klamath Falls, Oregon, a a mid-sized town, Rural, timber, those kinds of things were the um, primary commerce. And then into the middle of New York City, if I, you know, there were even foods I'd never heard of, you know, for example. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a wonderful experience. And I'm sure it lends well to your writing, at least, you know, thought process of writing. So what's one thing that you would love new readers to know about you? If you could pick one thing and, and that you could put on each book, um, what would that be? Wow. Um, well, a question. <laughs> yeah, that is that's interesting. I I would say that uh, my my writing is so diverse. I don't have a genre. I don't specialize in any one era of history, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily write sweet sweet all the time. Mm-hmm. But I do some, and sometimes I get kind of right into it. Mm-hmm. So um, you never know what you're going to get from me. And I don't care. I do not see myself as a commercial, as making this a, a career, mm-hmm. because um, of my age, and I just love doing this. And so if something strikes me, and I think that the genre should be poetry, then I'll write a poem about it. Mm-hmm. If I think it uh, deserves a longer uh piece, then I'll write a novel, you know, so you never know. And I never know. And that's kind of fun. I love that. And um, I had a lot of authors on and we talk about genre and we have a lot of self-publishing authors and we'll go into your publishing journey here in just a little bit. Um, But I do have traditional authors as well. And we've had discussions about genre and I have some that adamantly tell me and other um, aspiring authors stay in your genre and then I have some that's like you just write what you want to write about and I tend to lean towards write what I want to write about (laughs) and so so exactly inspiring to me so so great well thanks for sharing that I think that's good for listeners so they know when they land on your blog or they go look at your books and your selections you might have far more interesting um, than what they might have thought so that's an exciting thing to look for um, so let's talk a little bit. I, I'm switching it up for my listeners. So listeners, we're hitting our year mark, and um, and uh, Ginger's actually going to be coming out, I think, at the top of the month uh, that marks the year for the podcast. So super excited about that. And so now I want to start kind of diving in with authors a little bit about your writing process. So can sure. you... Can you share a little bit about um, your process with this? Because I, I did look at your blog and you, you've done some blog posts about the writing process. So can you encapsulize that process as best as you can, right? <laughs> in, a short, in a short podcast, um, what 
how do you, do you select a specific time that you write every day? Um, Do you do research? And if you do, how do you incorporate that? How many times do you edit drafts? All those kinds of things. Those are things that are interesting to me right now in my journey. (laughs) I understand. Right. Um, I try to write write in the morning after breakfast. Um, I'm one of these persons who has to eat first thing in the morning. And so I have my coffee come into my little room, which, by the way, I would always recommend if you can find a space in your house to sort of dedicate to your writing, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, then also you can kind of hide the mess maybe if you've got a door to that space. Yes. And um, <clears throat> then I uh, try to write every day, but I don't set a goal of so many words. That doesn't, I have tried that, and it hasn't worked for me. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that I've sort of set a goal of one paragraph. Mm-hmm. But what happens is you, I can't write just one paragraph. So I start with that one paragraph, and then I need to write another and another and another. And so um, I, I just find it frees me up to be kind of, you know, however I want to handle that particular piece, I can just kind of go for it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I also recommend, although I'm not the best at doing this, I recommend that if possible, you don't edit as you go, that you just sit down and write, even if it's crummy, Mm -hmm. uh, and then later on, maybe the next day, first thing before you even start writing something new, go back and review what you wrote the day before, Mm -hmm. and then do the editing. And of course, that's still only your first draft. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to probably do more editing further on down the, the line. But um, if you try to do the editing as you go, it uh, blocks the creative process. Mm-hmm. And you find yourself bogged down. And then you don't know. Then you, sometimes you get an idea and it'll fly out the door. And the older you get, the harder it is to hang on to those ideas. Mm-hmm. And so if you're busy revising, those ideas may be just getting shoved back further and further in your brain, and then you never find them again. Mm-hmm. So this way, you just blast them all out on the page, get as many of them down as you can, and then, you know, do the polishing later. Mm-hmm. So that's kind it. of the approach for the writing part. Well, I love it because I have been actively very much involved in the last year writing along with a podcast. So the podcast kind of is going along with me in the writing process and, and towards hopefully some data publication. Um, and I agree with you on the self editing part. I really struggle cause I'll be writing and then I want to change something in the middle of that writing process. And I stall on what the idea or where I was going with it. So such great advice to just get it out on paper and then go back to it maybe the next day before you start writing some more. So wonderful advice. And I love the time frame. I love that you have mornings to, to write, um, that that's a great thing. One thing I learned this year that my uh, listeners probably remember that I, I went through NaNoWriMo for the first time in November. And that really helped me develop a writing practice as far as writing every single day. Um, really great exercise that I've carried through. The thing I didn't like about it was word count. I hate word counts. It's just stressful to me <laughs> to think that I have to get a certain amount of words each day. So, so very, very great advice. Um, so Ginger, you have published quite a bit. And so we're going to start talking a little bit about your publishing journey. Um, so tell us what 
style have you published in? Are you a self-publisher? Are you independent with an independent small house? Or do you, um, are you um, a traditional published author? Well, I kind of have a little bit of experience with each because uh, when I first, my first novel, which was called Brute Heart, um, I went totally cold on my own. And uh, I, you know, put the whole, I did, didn't have it edited. I had some friends read it, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, I picked a printer here locally to have it printed. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I had somebody design the cover. Mm-hmm. And I had to get someone to do the interior design. And then I just it put it all together and went to the printer and had it printed. And then, of course, I'm doing my own marketing, but I do that anyway, even with a, a publisher. So the first time I did just totally, totally on my own. Then when I went back, after I uh, sold the first, I had, I think, 500 copies printed. I went back and I said, well, okay, it's been a couple of years. I think maybe just maybe 100 this time. And he said, you know, the printer, the local printer said, you know, I just can't. Uh, you're gonna. I'm gonna have to charge you too much for those uh, mm-hmm. if it's, you're only getting a hundred. So he then recommended Create Space, which is yeah. Amazon's self, uh, self-publishing arm. Mm-hmm. So I went back, started over a little bit, went to Create Space, and had the book put there. Where and that's where it still is. So then I can order from Create Space, which is now merged with Kindle. Uh-huh. I can order whatever I want and, you know, have the copies here. And in the meantime, it's still on Amazon and it has both as an ebook and as a soft cover book. So then with my second novel, which is entitled Brute, uh, excuse me, Never Done, I uh, was, I had met a woman at a writing conference who was a, um, she was, president of a small press has about 700 authors. So not tiny, tiny. And, uh, I had told her, I pitched my story. She liked it, but she said, get back to me when you're finished. Mm-hmm. So I finished it, got back to her and to you know, the synopsis and all of the things they wanted, you know, up front and they took it. So then, uh, with that novel, I did not have to pay to have my own cover designed. Uh-huh. I did not have to pay to have it in the interior design. I did get some editing and a, a little bit of marketing help. Uh-huh. So I, I've had, you know, those, like I call them, three different experiences uh-huh. with publishing. What's your favorite out of all three? Do you have a favorite? Do you lean towards, if I'm going to do another book, this is how I'm going to do it? I do. And I I do have another book in mind, so... This time, I will go back to Amazon. Mm, mm-hmm. I will go back. I will pay. It's not that expensive. I will pay to have them design the cover and then do the interior. And um, if I want to pay for editing, I can. Mm-hmm. And um, the biggest reason, mm-hmm. I when kidding. I buy, <laughs> when I, these two, these two books are both, I mean, money is involved. You know, when you, when you, when you go to Amazon, you've got to pay to have all these various things done. And you don't have to do that if you go with the publisher, but you have to sign a contract. Mm -hmm. And, um, they are sometimes restrictive in terms of how they want you to, uh, your grammar Mm -hmm. or how they want it laid out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and a bunch of things like that. Even, even the copy that goes on the copyright page, 
I had an argument over that. Mm-hmm. And um, Amazon is more flexible in that respect. Mm-hmm. Plus, and here's the big one, um, these two books are about the same size, about the same number of pages in length. Mm-hmm. And yet, the publisher that I went with charges me way more for my individual copies that I buy from wow. her to sell than Amazon charges me for a, a very comparable book. And they're all print-on-demand. Yeah. You know, exactly. they're, they're both print-on-demand. Mm-hmm. And um, so I can't even sell or let's say consign my second novel to a bookstore, local bookstores, because if I do, I'm paying them about $2 a piece to sell my books because of the price that my publisher charges me on a per per copy basis. I totally understand. And and I've heard these stories, similar stories with other authors. And I've talked to a lot of authors off off of the podcast because I'm still in my own process of deciding how I want to go. Some days I lean towards, I want to go the traditional route. I want to get an agent. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then I always come back to the idea that I like the idea of Amazon and and me being pretty much in charge of everything. Because it seems like to me, authors, regardless if you're published with a small house or not, you're still doing a whole heck of a lot for yourself. You know, you're, you're doing the footwork and you're getting the marketing out there. And um, so, so I think your perspective is very interesting and revealing. So thank you for sharing. What is your advice for somebody like me who's in the middle of thinking about the three options or more or less the two options, traditional or um, self-publishing? Do you have a bit of advice? I would say that you're young still. And so, you know, in my case, I didn't have the time to get an agent. Mm -hmm. My first novel was, I wanted, it was, it was personal. It it had to do with my own family, my, some of my own stories. Mm -hmm. And I wanted so badly to dedicate it to my mother who was already 90 years old and she was in good health, but I wanted to have her name on that dedication page and I wanted her to see it. Mm -hmm. So if you go with an agent First of all, you need to research very, very carefully to make yeah. sure you get a good one. Mm-hmm. And then then you have to convince that agent that your book is something that he or she can sell. Mm-hmm. And then he or she has to go out and market your book to the traditional publishers. And all of that takes time. Mm-hmm. I mean, easily a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So um, unless you're lucky, you know, unless you're extremely talented, and you could be very, very talented, and well, I'm not sure then, about that. <laughs> you know, and then and, and then you know, the traditional publisher would, would be perfect because that's where you get the most help, from what I understand, you know, and you've got a huge network behind you in advertising. I mean, really, um, that would be great. That. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell you exactly. I can only tell you from my experience in a different age group, you know, where, and I'm, and I'm not looking at it as a career. Yeah. And if I were a younger woman doing that and I wanted to look at it as a career, I would probably look at it differently. I probably would take that time mm-hmm. and go into, um, and get an agent. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a great discussion for me to have and hopefully for some listeners out there that have to have with us as they're listening in because I've been on the fence so much um, uh, this whole year. I just don't know yet. And it will be my second career, but my plans, you know, if all plans go well, I'll retire young. <laughs> I would like to yes, retire. Good for you. 
that would like to retire because of a published author who's making great money at it. But that's, you know, the wish and dream. But until then, you know, I'm looking at it as plan B, second life, second journeys. <laughs> so, um, so good. Well, thank you for the advice. I, I think it's helpful. Um, let's switch gears a little bit, Ginger, and tell us a little bit about any support groups or associations that you may be involved in or that have helped you along your journey. I like to make sure that I get um, support groups available for our listeners through our show notes so that they can also be connected if they're in the area or if they're online. I think my best support group has been a critique group that I belong to. Mm-hmm. It's a small group of uh, five. It's, it, people come and go, but it's been like five to seven members during the, gosh, it's been about eight years that we've been together. Wow, and a awesome. uh, group. <laughs> yes, it's wonderful. And we um, promise, you know, we meet only every other week. Mm-hmm. And we have to have at least four pages of, four typewritten pages of text or one or two poems. Mm-hmm. And uh, we discuss all genres. And we are very, you know, not mean to each other when we give crit- criticism, but we get right down to it. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, become a better writer mm-hmm. by being a part of a critique group. And, you know, you just need to find a group of people that are serious, that they don't just get together and drink wine or something, yes. you know, that they actually get together and talk about the pieces that have been written mm-hmm. and, and give feedback. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my gosh, some of the wonderful things they caught and, um, and suggestions that they've made have been great. I also belong to a local writing group where we bring in speakers. Oh, nice. And that's, that's helpful. That's helpful. And I belong to Women Writing the West. Mm-hmm. But that hasn't been um, particularly – it's so big. Mm-hmm. And you, you, even if you go – I did go to one convent, two, actually, two conventions. Mm-hmm. And um, I, they had speakers at conventions also, excellent speakers, mm-hmm. big names, rather than, you know, some of the people we have here locally are not necessarily well-known authors. Mm-hmm. But um, – I didn't. I haven't gotten as much from that large, large organization as I've had with the local organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tend to be a small person, small group person. Um, I think it's an introvert part of me that when I want to learn something, I want to learn it from a trusted small group versus a large group. You know, I do education as well full time. So for me to go into a, a conference or setting, it has to be pretty stellar for me to keep my attention. <laughs> I can tell you, oh, this needs to be done or that needs to be done. But but awesome. I love the advice about your your writer's group. Eight years is a long time for a writer's group to stay together. So you guys must be very committed to one another and um, sounds very productive. For my listeners, um, as you might have known in this last year, because of the podcast, I was invited to a writer's group, a small writer's group in my area of, um, I think they're all published authors. And there's a small group of us. And I felt very intimidated at first um, when I first came in because I I'm new um, it's been the best experience so far they've really really been strong at helping me um, work on this first draft of my book and give me great insight it's just been a fabulous so good advice so listeners if you are writing and you're not part of a writer's group try to find one that works for you <laughs> so so let's talk about inspiration. What keeps you going? So share with our listeners that haven't visited your blog. We don't know the title of your books yet. <laughs> We're going to get there. Um, so what's your inspiration, Ginger? 
Well, actually, um, a lot of my inspiration comes from my own life Mm -hmm. and from uh, stories that uh, have been passed down within my family. And uh, when it comes, that's more or less the inspiration for my two novels and some of the short stories I've written. Mm -hmm. And with poetry, it's almost always something that happens that I see, especially um, something absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. In me, it causes me to stop and just, ah, oh, I have, to, how can I get that down? And the picture just can't possibly capture all of what I'm seeing here. Mm-hmm. And that, then I will go home and write a poem about uh, one of those particular situations. Oh, I like that. So that's, that's the main thing. And as a matter of fact, I think that I discussed this with you before. I, uh, as a part of, my marketing efforts, I have put together a PowerPoint presentation, Mm -hmm. and the title of it is Family-Inspired Fiction, Mm -hmm. Stories Hiding in Family Documents and Mementos. Mm -hmm. And I have been giving this presentation to either writer groups or especially to senior living facilities where, Mm -hmm. you know, the uh, people are wanting to... keep their own stories and share their family stories with future generations, mm-hmm. but they really don't know quite how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I've given them in this presentation, I give them several different ways from simple to writing a novel mm-hmm. and uh, talk about that with them. And that has gone over really well. I'm sure it has. What a great topic. And, and it's smart for you to get out there and get yourself known um, as an expert in something that lends also to marketing your books. Um, I heard that over and over and over again before I started. And I think part of the podcast is a little bit of that too, is developing a platform um, as I'm starting to write. So, And being a librarian, which I'm not sure if you knew this about me, um, uh, primary resources like what you're talking about, I'm madly in love with. <laughs> I think that oh many, yes. yes, many authors uh, might miss that point when they might be stuck and uh, who knows what you have laying around in your closet and your drawers from family that, that could spur you into another story. So great, great topic. Well, let's get started. Um, share with us your titles first. Oh, wait, I have one more question I'm going to ask. This is another question for the new year. Um, and then we'll get started on the titles. Um, so Ginger, we're often told as writers, make sure you're doing a lot of reading, you know, to be a good writer, you have to do some reading. And I always wonder what my authors that are coming on, what they're currently reading themselves. So are you working, are you reading a book in particular that, um, you'd like to share with us? Right now? Yes, I am reading right now. The book that won the national book award is called let the great world spin by Colin McCain. Colin McCain. Now, I am not um, a reading snob. (laughs) I don't just read. (laughs) I don't just read books that have won awards or anything like that. But this uh, author happens to be coming to Bend in February, and uh, I'm going to go go listen to him. So I wanted to read the book Mm -hmm. before I went to the um, his presentation. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely wonderful. And what's amazing, and I did not know when I started out reading this book, is it's set in New York City in the exact same time that I lived there. Oh, how fun. And so I'm just having all of these flashbacks, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of things that happened there. And now, of course, I'm really stimulated and thinking, oh, I, now I have to write something about that, which I haven't really addressed. Yeah. So, yep. 
Absolutely wonderful. It's wonderful. Well, good. Well, I'm glad I asked the question. And, and in show notes, guys, I'll make sure I mention going into the new year, as I ask this question of authors, I'll make sure we put in there what they're reading so you can find it too. So it's a great tip. So let's set, oh, up, sure. uh, so let's set it up and tell us what your two titles are and then share with us um, what title you're going to read from and any back um, information you want to share before you're reading. And Ginger, while you do that, I'm going to go ahead and go on mute. So, um, I will take us out when you're done with the reading. The first book that I, my first novel is titled Brood Heart. And I knew that even before I retired, that I wanted to write a novel about this, to share my experience growing up in Klamath Falls, Oregon, in, you know, not poverty, but close to poverty conditions with an alcoholic father. And um, I wanted to share it from the standpoint of the emotional uh, effects of that on a young woman growing up, you know, and two sisters, we, we shared a bedroom. And so I had to fictionalize it. And my, my father had been passed away, of course, a long, long time ago, but I still wanted to fictionalize it. And so in order to do so, I made the main character a veterinarian. And although I've been a jewel of all trades, I was never a veterinarian, but always an animal lover. And so it was great fun writing this book and being able to incorporate stories of sometimes things that actually happened to me or that happened to people in my family or that I'd heard or whatever as a part of, first of all, her training, because she has to go through veterinary school works her way through veterinary school and then of course eventually she becomes a veterinarian and so that was really a great deal of fun along the way she has a couple of romances and so forth but um i i um i will probably read from that particular book even though this is contemporary fiction and my second novel which is titled never done is historical fiction because the second novel again one that I've always thought I wanted to write is based on my great-grandmother's life in Colorado she moved there when she was about 12 years old and uh, previously she had lived in Philadelphia in a rather nice not posh but quite comfortable um, upper middle class life and all of a sudden she and her father takes her and her sister moves them after her mother dies moves them to a ranch in southern Colorado so far south in Colorado it's almost into the uh, New Mexico territory and the story is about uh, her father marrying her best friend who is also a cousin. And um, I had, that is not something that really happened to my great-grandmother, but I wanted to get some kind of a story to, to pull together all of her experiences. But most of the experiences in the story are things that she actually did. The children she had, the jobs, the way she made money. Um, her living through the flu epidemic of 1918 while running a hotel, you know, those kinds of things. So the tone is even different in both of these novels because the root heart is contemporary. So, you know, I might use a few cuss words here and there. Never the F-bomb. I refuse to use that. I find it 
um, lacking in originality. There are so many good passwords out there that you can use besides that. But in Never Done, because it was my great-grandmother's life and because it was in a different time period, I am uh, the, the tone of it is a little bit sweeter. And so that's another example of what I'm talking about when I say I write kind of based on what I think works for that particular topic. Very, I'm very excited about hearing your reading. And I love the fact that you, you choose the right cuss words for your work. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have... Oh, yes. Is, yes. As, literary, as literary writers, it's too easy just to take the easy road, right? We got to make sure it yes. fits well. So great. I love it. <laughs> and it's all part of the research. It is. You know? <laughs> Yes. So why don't you go ahead and take us listeners into, into the reading and then um, okay. I will sign us out at the end. Okay. That sounds good. Um, I'm going to read um, a little section here from Brute Heart. Like I said, it, it deals with my father's alcoholism and it also deals somewhat with assisted dying and they are pretty serious topics, but to make sure this isn't just a dull dragging along sad book, I have interspersed many animal stories that really help to brighten things up. So I'm going to read to you from chapter 20 when uh, the protagonist, and her name is Jordan, she is, in med- she is in veterinary school at Oregon State University in Corvallis. She is working her way through, so she doesn't have very much money. Midway through October, an opportunity to make a quick hundred dollars came up when her advisor, Dr. Fraser, asked her and another financially challenged student to transport a black Angus bull to a farm near Ricreal. A registered breeder, the animal had been loaned to the college for a weight study. And satiated by the steady stream of blonde, brunette, and red-hided heifers brought to his pen during the six months he spent on campus, the bull had a decidedly mellow disposition. Jordan figured hauling that bull a mere 25 miles would be the easiest money she ever made. I'm sure you realize this is an extremely valuable animal, Dr. Fraser told Jordan and the student who was to accompany her. I couldn't begin to put a price on this bull's head. However, it's more than either of you can afford if anything goes wrong. The other student selected to make the trip was Drew Murphy, a broad-shouldered farm boy from the Hermiston area who was two years behind Jordan in the veterinary program. The two students loaded the bull into a double-horse trailer with the center petition removed. The Angus was an impressive beast, solid black with a broad chest and huge head. Drew estimated its weight at upwards of a ton. And although the bull had been dehorned and dehornied, its sheer size made him potentially dangerous. If he were to charge, it would be like being hit by a car going 30 miles an hour. Even if he accidentally stepped on one of their feet, he could do some damage. After several minutes of prodding failed to get the bull into the horse trailer, Jordan fashioned a harness around its neck. Drew used the harness to pull the bull up the loading ramp, and as soon as the animal was inside, he shoved the ramp into the trailer and quickly closed the doors. Jordan secured the latch, and within minutes, the vets-to-be and their live cargo were heading north on Highway 99. Jordan and Drew found plenty to talk about as they drove through the small towns and patches of green and gold farmland west of the Willamette River. Drew grew up 
on an onion farm in Echo, Oregon, about 10 miles south of Hermiston. His parents raised a few head of cattle in addition to growing onions, so he wasn't entirely out of his element when it came to hauling bulls. Jordan was impressed by the confident way Drew maneuvered the truck and trailer through traffic, how his strong hands gripped the wheel and shifted gears. Working in the Umatilla County sun had produced large brown patches of freckles on his face and arms, and Jordan decided he was good-looking. She had a feeling he was looking her over, too, so she used the truck's side mirror to do a quick makeup check. No lipstick on her teeth. Hair messy, but kind of sexy-looking. Suddenly, a black blob appeared in the mirror next to her face. A black blob? She sucked in her breath when she realized the black Angus bull was hanging halfway out the back of the horse trailer. In a split second, its knees were dragging along the asphalt, and the next thing Jordan knew, the prize bull was a large black ball in the middle of the road, growing smaller by the second as she and Drew sped down the highway. The bull, she screamed. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. The bull got out. Stop the truck, stop the truck. Stop screaming, Drew cautioned, hoping to calm the young woman he'd been paired with. He peered anxiously in the rearview mirror and slowed to 35 miles an hour, dividing his attention between the spot of black fur behind them and the highway ahead. Holy cow, he sputtered. How'd it get out? Jordan stuck her head out the window in hopes of getting a better look. Two cars swerved to miss the hapless creature, and another one almost ran into the back of the now-empty horse trailer. She watched in agony as more cars lined up behind them, blocking her view. Stop, she wailed when they rounded a curve. We've got to go back. I can't stop in the middle of this traffic. Drew stepped on the gas. Look for a place big enough for a truck and trailer to turn around in. They drove several miles without encountering so much as a wide spot in the road. Jordan leaned forward, clutching the edge of her seat with both hands while she scanned the road ahead. Her heart was pounding and her mouth had gone dry. There, she cried out, take that driveway. Drew made a quick right-hand turn onto a gravel driveway, driving faster than he normally would on an unpaved road. Dust and rocks flew in all directions as the truck and trailer bounced toward a ranch-style house about 50 yards off the highway. The driveway completely encircled the house, so within seconds he and Jordan were flying back the same way they came in, gravel ricocheting off the truck's undercarriage like Rice Krispies spiked with gunpowder. Neither one of them spoke as they sped south. Finally, Jordan got her tongue around the question that was on both of their minds. Do you think it's dead? Probably, Drew muttered. Either dead or hurt so bad we'll have to put him down. Jordan pinched her knees together. Just pray nobody ran into him, Drew added. I've seen what can happen to a car when it hits a deer. That bull would destroy a car. He'd even put a hurt on an 18-wheeler. Jordan nearly choked on a ripple of laughter. No shit. If he gets hit by a semi, we'll be responsible for the world's largest roadkill. Almost immediately, the laughter turned into sobs. I'm sorry, Jordan. Why are you sorry, she blubbered. The laughs must have come undone, so it's my fault. Oh, man, I'm dead meat. It wasn't entirely your fault. Please don't cry. They retraced the rest of their seemingly endless tracks without looking at one another or saying a word. Nothing along the highway seemed amiss. No traffic backed up, no rubberneckers, no flashing police lights or emergency vehicles, yet it felt as if they must be getting close to where they last saw the bull. 
They drove until they were certain they passed the spot where the bull fell out, then turned around and headed north again. And less than a mile from where they turned around, Jordan saw something big and black up ahead. Over there, she said, pointing toward the side of the road, it's him. You're not going to believe this. Drew switched on the trailer's hazard lights and pulled the truck and trailer over onto the shoulder. Just 10 feet off the highway stood 2,000 pounds of shiny black bull with all four feet on the ground, calmly munching the roadside grass that tickled his belly. Amazing, Drew whispered, as if the sound of his voice might spook the contented and, more importantly, living, breathing bull. I never would have guessed we'd see that big fellow alive again. They checked the bull over, and with the exception of two skinned knees and a bruised shoulder, the animal wasn't badly hurt. Using its harness, plus some of the roadside grass for bait, the two students loaded the bull for the second time. This time, both Drew and Jordan checked to make sure the trailer was locked. When they arrived back on campus, Jordan threw her arms around Drew's thick-set body and gave him a hug. The hug was an unexpressed, thank God the bull didn't get killed, Thank God that's over, and thank God I didn't lose my hundred bucks. All rolled into one spontaneous gesture. Thinking about it later, she hoped that was the message she got and not something else. Bravo. Bravo, bravo, bravo. I love it. It's like a complete story of mass survival. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, exactly. How many of us have had to survive some pretty crazy things so that we can keep the money we're trying to earn like that? Oh, yes. You know, really wonderful. Well, I hope that um, our listeners found it as exciting as I did. And so if you did, guys, make sure you go and find Ginger's um, website. Ginger has a tagline in her emails that I love that I want to comment on, Ginger. Your fiction embraced by fact. I think fact. I think that's just absolutely brilliant. And um, well, thank you. And I really enjoy your work. And I hope the listeners do too. And um, when you get another book out, let's talk about having you come back on. Oh, well, wonderful. That would be great. Okay, well, thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.